Good morning. My name's Matt, yes. Uh, thanks, Bob. Um, we are uh, welcoming our young people to Children's Church. As they go to Children's Church, they'll be learning more about how to participate fully and come and, and join with us here. Uh, we are in our second week in a sermon series in the letter of Second Peter. Uh, this will be our second week reading these introductory verses. Last week we focused on verses 1 and 2. This week we'll really look at verses 3 and 4, but I'll read this entire section together. When I'm done, we'll affirm that this is God's word for us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which he granted to us his, very, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I see the focus of these verses, the introductory statement of Peter that God in his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's a fairly famous verse. It's one that I first learned in a slightly different translation. The NIV says he's giving us everything we need for a godly life. And that phrase, everything we need, automatically resonates in my heart as we read it. Uh, Peter uh, uh, contains that by saying it's what we need for a godly life. But as I read these verses, I'm, I'm reminded of that uh, hard decision we each make in our hearts as we determine what are the things that I need, what are the things that I want. And when there's something in our lives that we think we need and we're not sure if we can get it, it creates an incredible amount of discomfort, doesn't it? If there's something you have determined that you must have and you're not sure if you can have it, you'll feel very anxious. I was uh, processing these thoughts by thinking back to our travels this summer. You heard from our kids describing our, our trip to Bulgaria together, knowing that the entire family was going to fly across the ocean. We took advantage of the of the opportunity, we dug into our savings and, and used some vacation time to travel through Bulgaria before we did the missions trip. Uh, it was a great joy to, to travel as a family together, all of us confined to small spaces for a long period of time in a uh, uh, fairly intense environment. It uh, had opportunities for us to love and be patient with each other. Uh, in particular, for my kids to love and be patient with me. Uh, they would probably tell you sometimes when traveling as a family overseas, dad can get anxious. And there are honestly things to be anxious about. We were moving across a, a couple of countries, speaking different languages, using different currencies, and everything was accessible but just a little bit off. 
Every time you needed to get something to eat, you had to negotiate a language barrier. Uh, and a lot of people could put speak English, but not everyone, and you wanted to be polite, and you had to figure out which currency was going to be used in, in, in which country. Uh, probably one of the more stressful times for me was figuring out how we would go to the bathroom when we were traveling. And one of the features of, of Bulgarian life, particularly in a rural setting, is most public bathrooms require some payment for them. You had to figure out the currency. You had to figure out where to go. You had to figure out who to pay. It made simple things harder. That could begin to weigh over on you over a period of time. I'll say this. I'll give credit where credit is due. My kids are flexible, as they would say. For the most part, they're pretty chill. But I would feel the anxiety when I was unsure about how we would do basic things. Like, oh, how are we going to go to the bathroom? That's a stressful thought, isn't it? You've been there, been there before? Uh, maybe you only get big bills out of the machine. You don't know how to get change. People, some cases, don't want to make change. And the time is coming. And you're not sure how to do it. How do you get something to eat? How do you get into your hotel? Like these basic things. There's stuff in life that when you're traveling, you sometimes don't even bother with. You're like, okay, we'll just wait till we get home. <laughs> we can hold it a little bit longer. We, we don't actually need that thing. Well, we, it's too much of a hassle to buy it. But when it's something you need and you're not sure how to get it, you feel anxious. Or your dad feels anxious. I think that's a helpful background as we consider what Peter is telling us here. Peter says that God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, the category is, is uh, framed by the statement of life and godliness. But Peter gives us a very strong statement. God has given you all that you need. All that you need for a godly life. These, these two words here together, life and godliness, are not describing two different things. They're really describing the same thing. It's understandable why the NIV translation would put it as godly life. We, he's given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. What you need to honor God in your life has been given to you. And Peter uses an exhaustive, exhaustive statement. It's a big statement. Everything, all things have been given to you. I want to ask you this question today as we, as we think about this together. As you come in here today and you think about what you need in life, are you living as if you have everything you need for that which is most important? Is it possible that maybe some things that you don't actually need but just want have merged into the wrong category? Or is it also possible that functionally speaking, maybe we affirm these things with our, our lips, we could give lip service to it, but when we look deeper into our heart and we trace out the lines of anxiety that, that weave through the inner recesses of our thought, that on, an, on a daily basis we don't live as if we have what we need. We live as if there's uncertainty about whether we'll get it. Perhaps you can find yourself easily slipping into ways of thinking that would say, you know, I could really be spiritually fulfilled only if, and we think of some condition. 
if the right person showed me attention, if the right job opened up, if the, uh, the people around me respected me in, in the right way, if I felt uh, guaranteed of these things happening, and we go down our list and we would we begin to function as if what Peter says isn't true. Our happiness and our peace and our deepest sense of security is, is based on not on what God promises to give, but on the uncertain circumstances around us. That's what I want to be thinking about with you today. It's a, it's a remarkable promise from God, but one that it's often difficult for us to fully grasp. I want to look at three things as we move through this together. First of all, we'll see uh, ultimately the beauty of godliness and why that is so important. Secondly, we'll, we'll talk about the way in which promises play a big part in, re- in experiencing this in our life. But uh, third and finally, as we see the abundance of God's blessing, we want to return and think about how it practically applies to us. The abundance, all things out of God's abundance given by his divine power, how does that really practically hit on your life? Uh, so first of all, we'll move to the, the beauty of godliness. Peter promises uh, that God's power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. But I think if we're honest, the, the word godliness is a word that isn't if it's one that we don't use often, many of our associations with it are not always really positive. Now, it does have the word God inside of it. So if you're a Christian, you probably think this is something that, that I should want to have. But similar to the word holiness that we've talked about, especially in 1 Peter, our associations with godliness are not always super positive. If, uh, if someone introduced you to their friend and, you, and they said, well, this person is really godly, do a real quick gut check here and say, does that make you want to meet them? Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe some of our associations with a godly person, they mean they can be kind of uh, not a lot of fun. We sometimes associate godliness primarily about what we don't do. Certainly in our broader culture, if you, if you went to a restaurant and you were ordering something off the menu and they said, would you like a godly amount or an ungodly amount? <laughs> Probably your reflex is to say, I would like the ungodly amount, that sounds better. All right? And in particular, if they're giving you the dessert menu, right? and you would say, would you like the godly dessert or the sinful dessert. And you're like, I don't know, the, the decadent chocolate is generally probably going to taste better in their marketing scheme. I would suspect some of these things filter down to our way of thinking. We, we encounter godliness and our first thought is everything we can't do. That's why I think it's so helpful that Peter puts the word godly and life together. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and that you would have it abundantly. The godliness that he's referring to here is not primarily defined by what you can't do. It's a picture of life as it's meant to be. Life in accord with the living God who made all things. Peter does a couple of things in this passage to really provoke us. I think, he's, I think he was provoking them to think differently about godliness. In Peter's first letter, he said a similar thing. He said, you should be holy as God is holy. 
But in this letter, he uses a different phrase, one that has uh, been very, very uh, debated in scholarly circles. He says that the purpose of this, God's giving you all things, is that you could become, verse uh, 4, partakers of the divine nature. Now that phrase, partaker of the divine nature, isn't generally used in, in Old Testament language or Hebrew thought, but it was used by the Greek philosophers. It's a little bit of a daring phrase. We could be not quite sure what it means. And so as scholars have argued, why would Peter say something like this? And there's all kind of different approaches, some of them more cynical than others. Um, but, but one way of looking at it is that that Peter, being a good theologian, is intentionally provoking. He's using a word that they may have been familiar with. He's, he's stirring them up a little bit. Maybe they would hear the echoes of the, the Greek philosophy, and he's challenging them perhaps to, to think about it in some of these other ways. The uh, Swiss uh, reformer uh, in the 17th century, John Calvin, or 16th century, John Calvin uh, spoke of the passage this way. He said, uh, let, us, let us notice that the goal of the gospel is to make us eventually conform to God and, he says, if we may so speak, to deify us. Now Calvin, uh, being a thoughtful theologian, instantly in the next paragraph went on to say, here's what I don't mean. Right? He tells us all the things they don't mean. He's not like those vain Manichaeans and blah, 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 all that they would do. And he gave all of his disclaimers. But he started with a statement that was provocative, a partaker of the divine nature. And John Calvin would say, in some sense, God is going to deify us. Right, here come all the disclaimers. Right? He's not making us little gods. We're not becoming another god with the gods in the Godhead or anything like that. But we are in some sense like God. And if that provokes you a little bit, I think Peter would say, good, it should. Just as much as it would provoke you to hear God say, be holy as I am holy. Ultimately, our thought of what godliness is like relates exactly one-to-one to what we really think God is like once we grasp the concept. That's what he's saying. He says, God is doing all of these things in your life, and he is giving everything you need so that you can be more like him. But he doesn't just leave it. That's going to be a little flat like him. He says, a partaker of the divine nature. In his first letter, John, uh, one of the other apostles, put it this way. He said, we have fellowship with God through the gospel. And we are, we are inviting you into that. That's what we're inviting you into. When you go when you talk to your roommate next Saturday night and you say, why don't you come to church with me, all right? And you might be essentially telling them, you'll learn how to be godly. Probably if you say that, they will not come. But let's think of another way you could say the very same thing. And what we're really saying is, as we listen to what God is teaching us, as we learn to be a follower of Jesus, we are learning to experience the inner life of God. The creative power that formed the universe that has been poured out in creation that has brought us even in the midst of all the sinful corruption in the world into a new standing, that life is being offered to us. We are being invited to us. I want you to come know that God. That's how Peter, I think, what he's doing here. 
there's different uh, theories about why it might be happening. One, uh, one scholar, Michael Green, says, you know, maybe over the course of his life, Peter just got better at talking to these pagans. Right? I don't mean that as a pejorative term. The, the, the cultural background they were coming from had very different ideas and, and very different ways of looking at things. And, and Peter, in his restless desire to share this great news of the gospel, provokes them a little bit. The passage on a whole is, is highlighting that kind of thing. God's power is giving us everything we need that pertains to night life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him. The knowledge of God. God who called us to His own glory and excellence. This is what God wants for you, Peter says. Glory and excellence. Not just like mid-range glory and sort of like relative excellence. He said, to his own. This is the invitation that, that Peter says, you are being given. That you are called through Jesus to know and participate in the very character and life of God accessible in Christ that is glorious and excellent. When I was a kid, we used the word excellent a lot. It, was, it became a slang, a slang term. People were like, that's excellent, man. And they would say it all the time, right? And, and maybe, maybe your teachers who, who are like trying to encourage you, you get, you get you know, eight out of 10 on your quiz. They're like, that's excellent. Um, we can overuse the word and, and maybe the weight of it doesn't carry. But the excellent, we said the excellence of God the glory of God who is in his, his blinding glory, a level of excellence beyond we could imagine. That's what Peter's calling us to here. And, and the good news is he says, you have everything you need to get there. You know, so once we get over yawning at the fact that we're called to godliness and we maybe get to peek behind the curtain and, and rediscover the beauty of who God is and what he's calling us to, we can really hear this promise from Peter that God has given us what we need. Now, you hear that and, and maybe, again, the, the honest voice coming from the back of your head says, I don't feel like I have what I need today. Do you have what you need? Now, Peter, Peter, I'm sure, is a realist. He's not pretending we have things we don't have. And he would acknowledge there are many things you may want that we could see as good blessings, but they don't necessarily strictly apply to life and godliness. There may be wonderful things in your life that we ask for and we receive and we thank God when we get them, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes there are good things that God has not promised for us to have. That's the, just the honest sales pitch for Christianity. When Jesus was inviting disciples to follow him, he said something like this, you know, follow me, it'll feel like carrying your cross. And, and he said uh, towards the end of his life, listen, those who follow me will certainly have a share in some of the suffering that comes from belonging to my, my people. That's a reality. In fact, Jesus said, sometimes following me means you lose some of the relationships you care about most. But nothing will get in your way of experiencing a godly life. Even the cross is a means God may use. Even the difficulty in your life is a means God may use to draw you in to the godly life where you would participate 
in the inner life of God himself poured out into your experience. And as we know, unfortunately, it is the case that sometimes we only learn through difficulties. Maybe one of the things God is giving you to call you into his glory and excellence, one of the things he's given that, that helps you in growth in your life and godliness is a difficult circumstance. Peter's friend Paul, reflecting on his own life, spoke of the glory that he had seen, and he also shared the hard truth that one of the things God needed to give him was a thorn in his flesh. He doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but it's a negative thing. He called it uh, a messenger of Satan, 2 Corinthians. But he said, as I prayed again and again, that God would remove it. It became apparent, whatever that thorn was, the removal was not necessary to life and godliness. Instead, Jesus spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. Some of your circumstances may feel like a thorn. Some of your disappointments may be bitter. Some of the pain may be hard. But Jesus promises sufficient grace. And if our view of the life of God is big enough, we can begin to say, like the Apostle Paul, that even the suffering is a sharing in the fellowship of suffering with Jesus. And even the thorn can be used by God for a good purpose. One of the ways in particular, though, that Peter says we experience the fullness of all God's blessing in our life is through his promise. The second thing we see as we move through the passage is that, is that Paul, I'm sorry, Peter says, the wrong apostle, uh, Peter tells us here that it's uh, verse 4, that God has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature. He's telling us that this important part of the Christian life is reckoning with the fact that God who made us and offers complete salvation in Jesus has also committed himself to do certain things, putting it into a promise. Sometimes we experience right now the reality of the things God has promised to do for us. And other times we have not the reality, but the promissory note. Uh, over the years uh, in our family, uh, this is Kerber Family Day, so we'll keep with family analogies, um, uh, have had certain occasions as we move to a less cash-based society, we've had occasions where the only people in the family who had actual cash were our kids. Uh, maybe you have this circumstance as well. And we're like, all right, Friday night, mom and dad worked all day. We're buying pizza. Pizza shop takes cash only. Right? Greenfield Pizza Shop is maybe one of the last places in, in the country that is cash only. So what do you do in that circumstance? You borrow from your kids. <laughs> That's a weird, weird state of events. Um, so some, it was happened not long ago, like one, one of our kids had like a handful of these crumpled up IOUs from mom and dad, you know, they're like, you know, how much money do you have? They're like, well, I've got like, you know, $75 in these promissory notes, right? And then eventually, you know, I'd feel kind of bad about the situation, finally go to the bank, pay off all our debts, all right? And then it'd be flush with cash again. This whole cycle would complete itself around and around. Well, in a sense, Peter's saying that we, God, 
in his kindness to us, has given us promises. And though we don't have the full reality yet, we have the note, and it's as good as cash. Let me, let me think about these, these two categories. There are things God has promised that we have now. The first thing that comes to my mind is the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up preaching to those wondering what, what on earth was going on. He said, God has given us the promised Holy Spirit. Before he left, uh, Peter heard Jesus tell him, I am promising to send you the Holy Spirit that even though I am in heaven, I will be with you in the power of the Spirit wherever you go to the end of the age. It's a wonderful promise. And we have begun to experience that reality now. The promised Spirit is with us. God promised that he would make a way of salvation and all who have faith in him would have complete forgiveness. Those that, that followed God for generations before Jesus didn't know fully how it would happen. They, they saw in the, the rituals and worship of the Old Testament sacrifices a picture of forgiveness, but the promise was made reality in Jesus. And so we can say, as we read in our, our, uh, earlier in, in the scripture, in our, I think it was our call to worship, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. We have spiritual confidence because God kept his promise in Jesus. Right now, we have a standing as a son of God based on what Jesus did for us. We have that right now. But there are also things we have that are necessary for life and for godliness that we have as a promise. God promises to do them. We don't have the reality yet. You know, what I think of most strongly is the promises for what happens after we die. We don't have that yet. We don't see it. We can't grab it. All we have is the promissory note. I've shared this with you before, but this was just so powerful for me. Uh, eight years ago, my father died suddenly and unexpectedly. It really pushed me in a place to ask the hard question, do I believe all of these things deeply. What do, you, what do you do when you stand in that position where someone that you have loved deeply and, and, and by God's grace have shared the common faith in Jesus, but you've been separated by the cold hand of death? How do you face that reality? None of us have gone to that place on the other side. In the eight years since then, the life of our church has been marked by more of our members aging out of membership. And we gather for that bittersweet moment where we say goodbye to someone we have known and loved, more sweet than bitter when they age out at the end of our life, often with a, can be a deep bitterness when it breaks in more suddenly at a different stage. But as we stand facing that reality which hangs over every human existence, we hold to the promissory note of Jesus. That was so meaningful to me. The actual words of Jesus, the promise he said, believe in God, believe also in me, John 14. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. If it were not so, I would not have told you. You see how that promise changes your life of godliness? Do you have today what you need? 
Some of us wonder if we do. And some of us, the, the things that are maybe good have risen to the place of feeling necessary. And if you find yourself either mouthing the words or moving the thoughts, I must have, be very, very careful what you put in that blank. What is it you must have? What is it you will, you cannot live without? And for some of us, perhaps a romantic relationship has risen to that level, hasn't it? We would answer right on a test if someone pushed us, but in our everyday functional life, we say, if I don't have this dream of a special someone to share my life with, I can't live. Our view of the life of godliness is too small. Good as that gift may be, wonderful as that blessing can be in the right setting, in the right context, Peter says, you have everything you need now, even without it. You have what you need for the life of godliness. The Spirit poured out in your life, the promise that Jesus is with you, and the promise that when we are separated by death, we move into eternal life with the Lord who gave himself for us. It's what you really need. Maybe you're, uh, you're here today, and perhaps you're not used to thinking in those terms. The advantage of reckoning with the hard, big-picture realities of spiritual things is it puts other stuff in its proper perspective. We really return to the big truths the Bible is talking about, this promise that we can become, in its understood context, partakers of the divine nature. We grasp the depth of the promise that we are called to the glory and excellence of God, to know him and to live in that, beginning to experience it now, knowing it in its fullness in eternity. When those truths settle in, we begin to think more clearly about our needs and our wants. God invites us to pray for the things that we want. And in his kindness, he pours out on us in his divine power all kinds of things that go beyond what we absolutely need. Sometimes he just seems to pour out incredible bounty and sometimes uh, we find ourselves learning as we face our want. But in all of this, we center our thoughts when we see what God has really offered and we put everything else in perspective. God has given you today what you need. And friends, my prayer for you is that you would find that peace. What would happen to me in Bulgaria when I wasn't sure by how we would get food? I mean, we're never about to starve, to be clear. But I felt some responsibility. I felt some pressure. I wasn't quite sure how to order things in certain places. And some people didn't want to take the big bills that the ATM gave me. And when you felt like maybe you're going to have to go to the bathroom soon, a little bit of panic could begin to emerge. I'll just, I know it's a silly example, but let me trace out that in my heart. Begin to get kind of panicky. My kids will tell you about it. I've been speaking to a therapist for the last couple, uh, last couple weeks. Uh, in all seriousness. Um, do you live your life with that panicky feeling that you don't have what you need? Do you come to relationships with people around you grasping and clinging 
as if you're a person dying of thirst, getting a drink of water. But have you been able to find, through Jesus, the reality of this promise? The Spirit poured out that all the thirsty would drink of Jesus. The promissory note that even if something were to happen that would separate us from life itself, we are eternally secure in Christ. Can you imagine what happens if you go through life like that? There are things you want, things you pray for, things you talk about, things you seek to have, but you do it as a person who has found the peace of knowing that his divine power is giving you everything you need for life and for godliness. Let's pray that truth would increasingly settle into our hearts. Let me pray for you. Father, this is almost too much to believe. And we confess our view of godliness is too small. We confess that many good and desirable things have risen to be too large. And quite honestly, we can feel ourselves entangled in the corruption of the world through sinful desire. Sometimes we simply want things that are not good or healthy. Lord, would you give us peace and contentment? Would you give us a renewed vision of your glory and grace? Would you help us to hold the promises for those things we don't yet have? And would you help us to celebrate the fullness of life in Jesus that is ours now? Lord, we, we, don't, we don't want to go through life as uh, people that are uncertain and shaken, but we pray that you would give us this firm foundation. The firm foundation that in anything we go through, you are with us, you will help us, and that our eternal future is secure. We pray that you would be glorified as we rejoice in this good news. Amen.